Hey everybody, welcome to the middle episode of Season 1 of Hero Hero Go Show. I'm Bo Ranstall, and that was LMC that you heard on the upfront. So far this season, we've offered up the excellent slasher Dream Home, just in the last episode. Uh, a new way to look at the movie Audition, and hopefully Juan. And we've taken a peek at the fan favorite Versus. But not since we talked about Tokyo Gore Police, way back on episode two, are we in such strange territory uh, as we are today. On today's menu, a wonderfully creepy and absurd bit of Japanese horror called Uzumaki or Spiral, uh, once again, depending on your edition of the film. Here to help me unravel this film and its spooky goings-on is Brian Sammons. Uh, Brian is one of the hosts of On Evil Episodes with Mike Merriman, uh, who you've heard on this show before, as well as the ABCs of Horror, which examines uh, somewhat obscure horror films based on that episode's letter selection, very Sesame Street style. And is also a writer and editor who is most recently behind uh, the Shapeshifter anthology, Flesh Like Smoke, and other titles like uh, Atomic Age Cthulhu. And uh, is an all-around horror enthusiast with whom I am very pleased uh, to be discussing one of the quirkier films we're going to be doing this season. So, uh, Brian, uh, take a bow and tell me what I got wrong. Hi, everybody, and uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you pretty much nailed it. Um, um... I'm an author, I'm a critic, I'm an editor, uh, and, and now I do a couple podcasts as well. So uh, basically, if it's anything related to horror, or anything genre, I guess, then I'm going to have my little sticky fingers in it somehow. Um, that is both obscene and uh, I relate. Well, uh, I, I try. <laughs> so, um, also, uh, I, w I would be remiss. Uh, I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but uh, you also happen to be married to one of my favorite people, Jamie Jenkins. Uh, not Jamie Jenkins anymore. Or did I don't know what you guys did with last names. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You 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 take her last name. You are correct. She is no longer Jamie Jenkins, uh, much to uh, the chagrin of anybody who loves good alliteration. Uh, she is now Jamie Sammons, and uh, she is my wife. Excellent. Um, and, and God bless you, quite frankly. Somebody, oh. somebody, somebody had to do it, and, and you were just the man <laughs> for the job. Um, so I but, took one for the team. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's one of those things like when uh, – when you guys got together, it was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. So, like, the, the wedding did not seem like a, a crazy um, enterprise. And, no, I don't I don't think you were, like, leaning into a pitch here for anybody. I think it was just like, oh, yeah, well, that that is an equation that adds up. So Well, it really is. Anyone who knows the both of us uh, can't help but saying how alike we are and how perfect we are. Um, and I agree. Yeah, and almost to a disgusting level, but yes. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah it's, most of our friends are disgusted with us. <laughs> you know, you're doing something right when you have, you know, offended someone with your happiness. Um, so, uh, but congratulations again, and and we will uh, we will leave the um, the declarations of joy right there because, uh, Brian, as, as I said in the upfront here, we're talking about Uzumaki, um, which is. You know, weird seems like a diminishing term for this film. Um, but when did you first come across uh, Uzumaki, a.k.a. Spiral, uh, in your travels through the horror world? Uh, I first came across it many years ago. I don't know exactly when, but uh, I move in uh, certain circles, Lovecraftian Cthulhu crazy circles. And this film came up and a lot of people were basically saying just how Lovecraftian it was. 
And that's rare for any film, but it seems just doubly rare for uh, a Japanese film. At least I thought so at the time. Uh, in the years since, I've come to realize that Cthulhu is pretty big in Japan. Uh, anything Lovecraft is, they have a really good, strong, uh, weird fiction-loving community there. So I should probably not have been that amazed by this. Yeah, so, I, I think I had kind of the same reaction. Uh, it, it is a, a Lovecraftian tale of sorts. Um and and Junji Ito in particular, uh, who is um, the artist uh, upon which uh, he, he created the manga that the film is based upon, and uh, and has a weird kind of cameo in it as well. But uh, yeah, it's he is heavily uh, Lovecraft inspired on as a as an artist himself. Oh, he very much is. Uh, one of the other things I read by him is a relatively short piece. This was something else that uh, some years after this movie, but some years ago, again, was going around the weird fiction Lovecraft loving community about, oh, you need to read this because it's very weird. It's very Lovecraftian. And it was a story called The Enigma of the Amarga. I might have mispronounced that. The Enigma of the Amarga Fault. And in this story, there's an earthquake. That reveals uh, the side of a cliff for the first time. And into that cliffside, there's all these human-sized holes. They kind of look like silhouettes, you know, the perfectly like, – like a cartoon character when they run through the door and they leave a perfect little outline of themselves. Sure. That's what's in the side of this cliff, and there's thousands of them. And whenever you find your hole, the one that fits your body perfectly, you feel compelled to enter it. And once you enter it, you can't leave, so you got to keep going forward. And what comes out the other side is not what first went in. And it is just weird and creepy and disturbing, and there's no rhyme nor reason to it. It just is. And I like that. Um, I don't like everything necessarily needing to have an explanation. You know, why does this happen? Well, you see, Timmy, uh, the radiation, blah, 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 blah. No, it just it, <laughs> right. it, it, it is, and that's enough. And that's why that story and this movie, they would fall into a subcategory of horror known as weird fiction, which Lovecraft, I mean, he didn't create it, but he definitely championed it. So while I wouldn't say this movie is actually Lovecraftian, Per se, I would say it's very much into the weird fiction. It's something that he might have wrote, or at the very least, something he would have loved to read. And for yeah. those reasons, I love it as well. Yeah, there's I, there's a bit of color out of space mm -hmm. in the in this movie, but uh, but we'll, we'll jump into it here. So uh, the story itself uh, involves um, the the main character is uh, a young girl, as so often happens in these movies. Uh, named Kitty, uh, Kitty A, uh, probably is the the correct pronunciation. But uh, she lives in a uh, a town called uh, Kuro Uzo, and or Uzu, and uh, the town is beset by a, a curse. Uh, beginning first um, with her would be boyfriend's father, uh, her would be boy, bo uh, would be boyfriend uh, named Shuichi. And uh, his father becomes obsessed with uh, spirals or uzumaki, and starts uh, 
getting progressively stranger as uh, Shuichi and uh, Shuichi's mother and uh, w- kind of look on. Um, and uh, Kirie is a uh, uh, her father is um, a potter. I guess is that the uh, the official term for that job? I'm uh, a. There's probably a more official term, but I wouldn't know it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, honestly, if we're talking about uh, a town cursed by spirals, uh, Potter seems like a job that would happen in that Potter town. works just fine. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, her her boyfriend, Shuichi, um, her, Shuichi's father starts to videotape um, spiral patterns around town uh, to the point where it is an unhealthy obsession. Um, he, uh, you know, there, he looks at, uh, the snail and he's making this, uh, video scrapbook, um, that has it, the, anything basically that has a, uh, a spiral image. Um, there's an especially weird scene where he is eating dinner and they are having a, a soup with, uh, these <laughs> kind of spiral patterned, uh, bits of fish and um he gets uh, he swallows them all down and then starts freaking out when there are no more left at, at which point he thinks to the magic of movies and uh, dropping frames um starts whipping up his uh his soup in a super fast motion uh to calm himself down so um yeah so basically we're seeing throughout the film like the idea of, uh, of the spiral is starting to, you know, in, insidiously entwine in people's lives and, and, and people are becoming, um, a little weirded, uh, or starting to become weird with their obsession. Um, you might, you might say that it's beginning to spiral out of control. Ah. Yeah. I, you know, the spiral puns I already used unravel. Um, oh, okay. So I couldn't help I, myself. I'm not saying stop. I'm just, it's more of a listener warning. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like you were going to encounter spiral puns, but, um, another, another of the big maydays, um, in the, in the first part of this film is that, uh, one of their, uh, classmates, uh, and I want to say his name is Katayama. Uh, but I'll, I'll verify that here in a second. Um, he begins, uh, always known as being a bit of a slowpoke. Um, start showing up to school only when it rains and covered in slime <laughs> and moving very slowly. Uh, which of course everyone uh, gets a good laugh about until, uh, one of the young punks in class trips him, uh, splattering his ooze, uh, onto himself. Uh, and that's not quite as cool. Um, but I really like this scene because it is such a, you know, it's going to be hard to find the right adjectives other than weird and bizarre in this movie, but there's plenty of that. Um, it's for me, it's one of the first hints of the film of like how bizarre it's going to get. Um, and I don't know if you have a similar signal post of like, Oh, we're in for some real strangeness in this film. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, I guess, uh, signpost up ahead kind of moment. Uh, for me, it begins right at the start where our protagonist, uh, she says there's a little bit of narration at the beginning, and uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, let me tell you of the strangeness that happened to the town I live in. And that's that's a perfect name for it because 
it's not a possession. It's not like aliens. It's not like somebody summoned a demon. Um, it's just some bizarreness that just grows and grows and begins to infect all that live here. And the best word to describe it would be bizarre or strange or just weird. And if you can roll with that, you're going to love it because it's just like a spiral. It begins to turn in on itself and go round and round and round and things just get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, I think the big moment where, uh, I, I felt not just, you know, kind of fascinated by the weirdness of the film, um, as, as when our, our, friend the snail arrives in class, uh, which I, I do love that scene. But when uh, Shuichi's father contacts Kyrie's uh, father for, uh, uh, consigns um, some work, and, and that work is to create a, uh, a bowl with a spiral pattern. And when uh, Kyrie goes to deliver the packet. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Shuichi is trying to convince her that the spiral thing isn't just funny anymore. Um, that there's a real serious problem. And Shuichi is, is obviously the guy who, if not knows the most in this story, at least suspects the most. And it has the most level headed reaction, which is like, we should leave. Like, you know, he, it's clear in the manga, but, um, he goes to school outside of town and returns home every day. And so he has a line about, you know, like when I come through this tunnel that leads to the town, you know, I can feel this, this kind of oppressive weirdness settling over me. And, uh, so something, you know, something is clearly going on here. And when, uh, Shuichi, uh, takes, uh, his would be girlfriend, uh, to basically offer some proof, um, she runs into a scene where, uh, the mother is, uh, is given Shuichi's father a little bit of static about how weird he's been, uh, cause she tossed out a bunch of his spiral collection. And, um, he says, you know what? It's okay after a bit of a freak out, uh, because the spiral is inside us. And then his eyes start going all, uh, I believe the scientific term is, term is higgledy piggledy. Yes. As, as they begin to swirl around in, uh, opposite directions within his orbital sockets. And this movie is kind of built on a series of weird scenes like this where they're just gen generally and genuinely unnerving to me. Yeah. Uh, it's, you can get a very, um, almost like anthology feel or that the movie's actually set up into different chapters. And so I've never read this manga. Well, I should say I started, I never finished it. Uh, I started reading it after I seen the movie and then just, you know, things fall apart. The center does not hold. And, you know, sure. Yeah. I never got back to it, but you can see where the influences are directly from the issues of the manga and I like how that's set up because it's like you get almost a self-contained story with each segment, but it keeps building to something even more uh, disturbing yet to come. Yeah. And in this case, uh, it would be after the, the crazy eyeballs in uh, Kyrie um, just drops like it, it is too much for her to look at. And, and she passes out and, and God bless her for being the protagonist of this film. 
but man, she just does so little. It's she does frustratingly little in this movie in terms of having any real agency in the story. But no, she is definitely not an active protagonist. She is someone that has the things affect her, and then she just moves on from scene to scene, allowing other things to happen to her. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of a bummer. But you know, and for listeners who have been listening to this show, you know that that is not necessarily atypical of uh, Japanese uh, films in particular. Um, who don't always have the best record of treating their female protagonists with a great deal of, uh, of respect. But, um, so when, uh, getting back to the, the part that I was getting ahead earlier on, um, so, uh, Kyrie's father gives her a package like, Hey, I, I finished up the, this nice, uh, Uzumaki bowl, uh, for Shuichi's father. So why don't you go, uh, deliver this? And she discovers that Shuichi's father has, um, placed himself in the washing machine and turned himself, uh, his entire body into a bit of a spiral, even though we don't see that on the upfront, but we kind of get the idea that this is, uh, what's going down here. So the, the Uzumaki has claimed its first victim, uh, in the film. And, uh, subsequently, um, Shuichi's mother. Oh, okay. We, we gotta, we gotta talk about the cremation scene because that's also pretty, uh, pretty rad. Um, so when they, when they cremate Shuichi's father, um, the smoke coming out of the crematorium, uh, the, the chimney, uh, begins to form a spiral in the air. And then in maybe not the best CGI you ever saw. No, definitely not. But it was 2000. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in fairness, Jurassic Park had come out. and Yeah, but this movie didn't have Jurassic Park money behind it. Sure, sure. And in such a crime, that is. Like, I, I wish this movie had the budget of Jurassic Park. It would be insanely good. Um, Especially later when you get the, some things crawling on the walls. Yeah, yeah. That would be, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but the... Uh, so Shuichi's father, uh, his ashes form a spiral that then, uh, dips down into Dragonfly Pond. Uh, good old Dragonfly Pond, where, you know, if you want to be possessed by, uh, the Uzumaki, that's your place. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, as, um, fate would have it, uh, Shuichi's mother becomes, um, a bit of a head case. Uh, to the extent that they finally have to, uh, put her in, in, I, I think we would call it in the South, the nervous hospital. Yes. Um, it may, it may be a real hospital, but you know, down here, we just have basically a lot of padded rooms with big locks. Um, and she ends up, uh, being hospitalized, uh, and then notices the spiral patterns on her fingers. Well, and, that just won't do. Right. Cause you don't like, of anyone in, involved with this film, she is the right behind Shuichi in terms of uh, spiral phobia, uh, which would probably be spirophobia, something I probably should have looked up beforehand. Um, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So she ends up uh, cutting off the the pads of her fingers, which contain spirals and uh, also her, all over her, her hair. Uh, should that also become uh, curly? And, uh, basically now in the hospital, we have to hide anything that has a vaguely spiral shape so she doesn't lose her shit. Um, up to and including, and this is the real crime of the film, uh, some delicious looking cake 
<laughs> because it has a spiral shaped frosting on it. Um, but yeah, so she is a bit of a mess. And, uh, when you go to visit her, you have to, in Shuichi's case, put on a North Korean, uh, military uniform. Um, as you would. Yes, yeah, as, as you do. And, uh, yeah, you basically have to wear a hat and gloves and, and basically anything that could possibly, uh, contain a spiral, you, you have to cover up. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that stuff is great. Like, the, I, again, it's got that Lovecraftian feel and I, I, I'm sorry to keep using that term, but it is that thing of like, they have seen too much and have been driven mad by it. Yes. They, they have caught a small, slight glimpse of the true nature of the universe, and that's never a good thing. You never get one of those glimpses and suddenly feel better about yourself or, you know, <laughs> right. hey, I, I understand my place in the cosmos now. I'm doing okay. It's it's always like, oh, my God, we're all doomed. I'm doomed. There is no point. Life is folly. Where's my gun? Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of best case. Yes. If, if you glimpse the universe and all you come away with is existentialist angst, You've won. Most times you're just going to be a blithering madman. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I love that stuff. And, and her character in this is like the, the purest form of that arc. Um, it, you know, maybe Shuichi to an extent, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, well, cause everybody else seems to embrace the madness, either consciously or subconsciously. She recognizes it for what it is. And she is powerless to stop it. And that's frightening. I mean, there's something about being killed by a big scary monster or something. You're walking through the woods and suddenly, bah, and it eats you and rips you apart. That's horrible. But knowing that there's a big scary monster in those woods and knowing you have to walk through those woods and just knowing that there's impending doom coming for you, that is that takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, I would kind of compare this movie in... A, a very tangential way to the movie Pawnee Pool. Excellent choice. I love that movie. Yeah, a fantastic movie. But the idea of that film, uh, for listeners who haven't seen it, is that language becomes infectious. And that you can get hung on a word or a phrase and it drives you mad and you become a killer. Kiss and, is kill. Yeah, kiss is definitely kill. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic movie and Stephen McCaddy is a, a genius in it. Um but much like that film, this film is the case of you, you almost don't know it's affecting you until it's too late. And then you're in the grip of the spiral. Um, we start to see that, uh, like our, uh, our punkish high school, um, stud who got splashed by a little ooze from snail boy is now, uh, starting to grow a shell beneath his shirt and drinking tons of water. And, and then, you know, to your point, it's kind of spreading through the community. There's, um, a girl that, uh, they go to school with whose hair is slowly becoming longer and more spiral influenced. In Just way of, out of control. At, yeah, at a certain point, it's a real mess. Um, but yeah, it's just that, you know, the spiral has begun to, uh, to consume her and, and she basically, um, is one big spiral decoration from the neck up. Um, and, uh, you know, we even see the teacher grading papers and his, uh, circling incorrect answers slowly becomes a spiral and, 
Uh, he's drinking tons of water too. And we see a hint of a shell on him. And, you know, basically, uh, all this weird stuff is, is happening around our main characters, um, more spe- uh, specific to their experience in the film. Um, Kyrie's father, um, has come back all goofy from Dragonfly Pond after the funeral of Shuichi's father um, to get some clay from there. And now he's all spiral obsessed too, because whatever's going down at Dragonfly Pond is no bueno. Now, what do you think the, what part does Dragonfly Pond play in this? You think? Cause I haven't seen this movie in probably uh, 10 years. I remember seeing it and loving it and getting the DVD, but this is the first time I've seen it in a good long while. And uh, when the smoke goes into Dragonfly Pond from the crematorium, and then, yeah, when you see him dragging, you know, dredging the mud up and bringing it home to make more clay pots, and he's all whacked out of his mind, I'm like, huh, is that going to be the central link pin that everything else is connected to? Because I couldn't remember that. But ultimately, I don't think that's it. Because it seems like this curse, this spiral madness, is just going through town, and I don't know if there's a direct correlation between points A, B, or C. And if there is, then maybe I missed it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's terribly distinct. Um, you know, my my big takeaway is when uh, Suichi's father, uh, when his ashes kind of drilled down into Dragonfly Pond... And and in fairness, some of you know a lot of the images revolve around uh, that body of water and and um, uh, particularly the sky above it as well. Um, you know, I think it's more just like a, kind of ground zero. It's sort of a radiation effect. Like if you're at Dragonfly Pond, you're getting all the rads of Uzumaki, and if you're further away from it, then maybe it's not as much, but you're still going to lose some hair and teeth. Okay, that's uh, that's a good. It, it, it's as close as I've got to an explanation for for any of that, but I feel like the the one to one analogy here is that the ashes spiral down into Dragonfly Pond, and the next time you see uh, Kiri's father show up, having just returned from Dragonfly Pond, like he's gotten the Uzumaki with both barrels. It's not like he's there's a slow descent or anything. Like he's okay one day, and upon returning from the pond, he's, you know, he's just an Uzumaki-obsessed madman. Okay, Uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I don't think it's, like, that's not the only place you can get the the Uzumaki, you know, virus or influence or whatever. Uh, I think it's more like, that's just where, like, if if you want it to happen on the quick, that's where to do it. Um. So I don't know. It's a like this movie does not go out of its way to explain itself that often. Uh, no, and I like it just for me. It's always a, an intellectual exercise to try and see. Okay, if I can place, you know, connect the dots, even if the author or filmmaker doesn't do it directly, do I know what they were trying to do? Yeah, and that's definitely my my color out of space moment. Um, you know, the idea of like the thing in the well or the, uh, the poisoned well. Um, yeah, that's to me that that's where I make that correlation between those, those two particular pieces of work. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's, there's no clear indication of like why the Uzumaki chooses some and not others, even though everyone in the town is kind of slowly being corrupted by it or, or being, you know, 
in, I keep using the word infected, but that's kind of what it is. You kind of, you kind of catch it. And then after that, you just, you see spirals everywhere and in everything. And, you know, your eyes go all screwy sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's your whole body, which is unpleasant. It turns out. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, uh, Kiri's father's gone goofy with the Uzumaki. And then we also have, uh, the, the sad fate of, uh, Shuichi's mother who while in the hospital and, you know, her head's all bandaged up, um, along with her hands because, you know, fingerprints, um, we get a millipede, which weirdly the past two movies I've watched have, have featured millipedes as the focus of a shot in an unpleasant way. Um, I, I think that probably says something about my viewing taste that millipedes just seem like a natural thing to include. Well, just they're creepy. I mean, there's bugs in general are kind of icky, but I'm sorry, millipedes got to be like high up there on the icky table. Yeah, because it, it looks like uh like half a worm with legs. Yeah, and it's just and so many and just the way they move and they always add an effect. I mean, if a real millipede was going across the floor, you wouldn't hear it probably. But in every <laughs> right. movie, it's got to be crunk, 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 just yeah, to and- drive in the unnaturalness of it. Yeah, and Uzumaki really enjoys playing with sound uh, as well, uh, just as a film. And yeah, the millipede creeping around, it, it has some really unnerving insect, insectile sound effects to go along with it. Um, but so the millipede uh, comes into Shuichi's mother's room, uh, creeps up the bedpost of, uh, of her hospital bed, and then just goes straight into her ear. Uh, which is maybe the most in- unsettling moment of the movie for me. I I have a thing about that. I don't. Oh, it always reminds me of the what was it night night gallery episode about the earwigs. Sure, sure. Oh god, there's the idea that you're sleeping and something's getting into you through your ear because you just can't protect it. You're unaware of it, and it's such a you know a natural opening, and it's a straight shot to your brain. That is just yeah, it's horrible. Well, and it, you know, there's a, that Wrath of Khan scene too, yeah. where you put the the slug in, in people's ears and it it makes them more obedient. But that always bothered me as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it it's an unsettling thought, and watching it happen on screen is always uh, a bit of an ick factor for me. But she she grabs the millipede, yanks it out of her ear, uh, goes scurrying across the room, uh, you know, kind of pushing herself backwards until she slams against the back wall. And now we see under the bed, uh, in the darkness, uh, a spiral forms. And eventually we see the ghostly face of her husband, uh, who basically says, um, you know, why are you resisting the Uzumaki? Because the Uzumaki is already inside you. And earlier in the movie, uh, Shuichi has ripped uh, a medical chart away showing the, uh, the spiral in the cochlea. Um, and, that's what uh, Shuichi's mother, uh, the conclusion she reaches is, oh, yeah, there's um, spirals in my ears. So she takes a, a shattered piece of uh, of a bowl and jams it into uh, the side of her skull. And and that's it for Shuichi's mother, other than the cremation of her, which leads to even more ghost faces in the sky as a spiral spins. Um, and... Due to the kind of anthological nature of uh, of this story, there's there's also uh, a kid who's really into Kiri. And by the way, 
if you ever want to, uh, you know, have a woman owe your own, <laughs> this is a great movie to watch to see what not to do to win their hearts. At, when I was watching, I was like, you know, I used to do the same thing to the girls I liked, but I think I was eight at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of jumping out from around corners. And like, great. That scared you, right? Isn't that great? It's like, well, just tone it down, Romeo. Is we like, what, are you going to pull his hair and rub dirt in her face next? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And yeah, it's it's terribly uh, ineffective uh, as, as a ploy. And and quite frankly, you know, Kiri's kind of, she has her, her eyes set on Shuichi to begin with, uh, even though they've been friends forever. And there's... You know, like I'm, I'm paying lip service to this story, the the kind of budding romance between the characters, and I'm giving it about as much due as the movie does. Yeah, I mean, it's ain't, a ain't much. Yeah, it's a thing, but it's not anything that the movie is all that concerned about. Um, which is kind of a shame. It would give it more of an emotional grounding if, if that were a little bit uh, better developed, but. It's kind of not what Uzumaki's in this for. It's I mean, not... even even the characters are, you know, he says to her, hey, maybe we should leave. You want to elope? And she kind of <laughs> giggles. And, you know, that's it. That's your romantic subplot for the film. Well, and it's another thing that never works, which is you ask someone to marry you on a whim. And then it kind of gets stuck in their craw. And they're like, you know what? That's not the worst idea I ever heard. Yeah. I, I don't think that works most of the time. Um you know, well, you honestly, you're the married man here. You should be able to tell me. But. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, I'm all for eloping, <laughs> but it just seemed like they were still playing as kids. And maybe that was the idea because they're supposed to be high school kids and high school kids, you know, can sometimes be goofy. But do you ever see them even hold hands? They, I mean, they embrace once. Okay. I mean, because there's a lot of bike riding, which, you know upsets the cop to no end but uh that's it for you know any sign of affection and i'm thinking maybe that's just a cultural thing the japanese want to be reserved but it's you know not a single kiss not a peck on the cheek i forgot that they embraced once you know i must have blinked and missed it yeah well it's kind of towards the end of the movie when he's hurt you know and so maybe it's less an embrace and more of just supporting him but yeah. i'll take what i can get out of this you know <laughs> like you're setting up kind of a love story and and again it, you're right it may just be a bit of a cultural distinction uh where you just don't see a lot of heavy petting but yeah. uh you know but just I, I never bought it. i mean they they show you a flashback scene of them as little kids at the whole ice cream cone and all and that's real cute and, and uh, okay so they've been together for a long time but if you take that scene out of the movie and throw it away, you would never know that just by the way they act with each other. Yeah. And I mean, in fairness, the, the kid playing Shuichi is not the most emotive character anyway. Um, I don't know if that's an actor situation or if just from a director directorial point of view. They're like, no, no, no. You're going to be the very smart, toned down kind of character, very serious and somber um, because he is the one character in the movie that's like, we've got to leave. Except I'm using a lot more emotion than he ever yes. has in the movie. Right but. there was more emotion than his entire performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but her, uh, Kiri's uh, would-be admirer um, ends up 
getting uh, getting killed. And there there's an idea that, that sort of calls to uh, Suicide Club a little bit when the uh, the girl with the um, the crazy spiral hair at one point is talking about a kid who has committed suicide in their school. And she's saying, you know, it's important to be noticed and what better way to be noticed than to die. And, yeah. and before so, he did that, nobody knew who he was. Now everybody yeah. knows who he is. Right, right. It's it, it's kind of that uh, uh, John Hinckley um, scenario. Uh, was that his name? The one who killed or who shot Reagan for Jodie Foster? Is yes. that John Hinckley? Okay. Man, I'm getting old. First of all, uh, for kids listening to this show, Ronald Reagan was a president of this country. <laughs> uh, John Hinckley was a crazy person. Um, and Jodie Foster, very talented actress and director. Um, but yeah, so he, to, in an effort to impress her after uh, he and Shuichi get into a bit of a shove match, um, <laughs> which uh, one of the saddest fights you're ever going to see on screen. Um, but I also think very realistic because I remember way back in my high school days, two guys would, oh, that's it. We're going to fight. We're going to fight. And then they would just sit there and push each other. Um, Come on. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And the other guy's pushing it back. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it's like, it, clearly no one's going to do anything. Why don't you two just stop? Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you're, you're right. And I'm, I'm, I should not be looking uh, for realism necessarily in Uzumaki, but yes. Oh, hell no. <laughs> that is probably, it's not a very satisfying screen fight, but it's probably a very realistic one. Um, but so the, the kid that's trying to, trying to win over Kiri by jumping out and surprising her and whatnot, uh, ends up just throwing himself in front of the car of a newspaper reporter who has come to the town to figure out what's going on, uh, after Shuichi's father dies. And, Aside from one scene where he's doing some investigation and and kind of playing a little bit of the part of the audience of like, well, what's going on? And uh, there's this whole thing with double meanings with, you know, mirror and, and stuff um, that never I don't know that that ever really comes to anything. And I'll, I'll throw this to you because, you know, I give you my Dragonfly Pond explanation. You explain to me this whole sequence of like the double meanings of words and why everyone's mirror obsessed as well. Cause I, I don't know that I, I pulled out of that what I should have. No, and neither did I, honestly. Uh, there is a scene where you mentioned where the guy basically kills himself with a washing machine. But before he does that, they make a big point of showing him putting a mirror at the bottom of it. And they even, cause this guy was videotaped obsessed. He taped everything, including his death. When our heroes are watching it, they go, wait, wait a minute. And they actually rewind it. And they go, look, he's putting a mirror in there. And I'm like, and? <laughs> right. You know, like, I'm on the edge of my seat. You got me where you want me, Uzumaki. Now, let's bring this home. And they really don't. And maybe uh, when stuff like that happens, I kind of go, well, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe somehow spirals are tied to mirrors. I don't get that. But, uh, yeah, I... I I could not tell you. And it's not like they make a big deal out of it. It's not like uh, Poltergeist 3 where they have ghosts popping out of mirrors every five seconds or anything like that. But they do go out of their way to mention it and to show it. So I was hoping for some payoff, and it just doesn't really happen. Yeah, I, I don't – I'm not sure, and and listeners, feel free to, uh, to, to chime in here. Uh, either on Facebook or just send me an email and explain to me. I, I think it has something to do with the idea of the 
um, the characters being very similar, almost like a, a, a homonym or something. Um, you know, like deer and deer being spelled the same way, but having two entirely different meanings sort of, sort of situation. But mirror is one word, but is the other Uzumaki because those characters aren't the same. And I don't know. Um, <laughs> see, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, well, maybe mirror sounds like, uh, Uzumaki in Japanese. Maybe the, is it kanji? I believe maybe the symbols for both of them are the same. I don't have enough knowledge to to know. Yeah, and as I was looking into it, the, the, here's the problem: is that you know there are basically three different alphabets that are used in Japan, and a lot of times they're mixed together, mm. so that you'll have kanji and hiragana used at the same time where it's most convenient, which is great if you grew up in that country. But as an outsider watching these movies, it does lead to a bit of confusion sometimes where you're like, wait a second, that is not one of the, I don't know, 56 hiragana characters and Kanji has thousands. So, um, who knows? But yeah, it's a, it's a weird little drop. But anyway, so this reporter shows up, uh, does some investigating, then hits, hits creepy kid, uh, the stalker and who, and the stalker of course ends up wrapped around the wheel well. And the reporter is now dead because he hit his head on the windshield, which of course creates a spider web uh, spiral pattern in the in the uh, broken glass, and his eyes hanging out of uh, the hole, which uh, is kind of rocking. Um, and so everything is uh, <laughs> spiraling out of control. Um, <laughs> so we. Uh, uh, to kind of push to the end of this madness, um, we have a moment where uh, Suichi, uh, they're, they're looking for uh, Kiri's father, who, uh, you know, as stated before, has gone goofy with the spiral. And uh, finally, they're like, we're leaving. We are getting out of town. We just had some reporters show up taking breaking news footage of human-sized snails crawling up the side of uh, the school. I, I love the 80-ness, the 80s-ness of that video segment that they show. And yes. I, I just love how matter-of-fact they're like, yep, we got human snails crawling up to school. Hey, look at that. <laughs> and I'm like, should there be something more? Like, oh my god, human right. snails! At what point do the police and outsiders get involved? If you're dealing with human-sized snails who have apparently just gone into the wilderness outside town... Um, yeah, you would think that somebody would make that phone call. And Even- I was uh, just real quick. I was thinking they, they say, and then the snails disappeared into the forest. And I'm thinking, you didn't really look for them all that hard, did you? Cause they're snails. They can't be that hard to find. Yeah. Not only are they slow, they kind of leave a trail everywhere they go. But in their defense, and I only say this to play devil's advocate, if you told me that people, and, and this is also in the news report, which is kind of hilarious, where they're just like, it appears that people are actually turning into these things. And if you told me, like, hey, Jerry from uh, across the street turned into a human-sized snail and headed into the woods uh, near town, we're going to go look for him. You know, my take would be, you guys have fun with that. I am not, <laughs> I'm not getting involved in human-sized snail activity. Maybe nobody, uh, nobody could bother. 
<laughs> right. It's or everyone was already on their way to becoming a snail, and it just takes forever to get to mount that search party. Um, but when we do see the the reporter later, uh, who was going through the tunnel out of town, um, she uh, she does have a moment where she's like lighting up a smoke and saying like, I hope the next story is not so weird. And of course, the next time we see her, the news van is, uh, is wrecked. She is lying, uh, on the ground beside it with the uh, beginnings of a snail shell on her back. And her eyes are kind of protruding from stalks out of her face. So we don't know what happened in that tunnel, but it can't have been good. No. Um, <laughs> so we end up uh uh with Suichi trying to convince uh Kiri to get out of town. They're looking for Kiri's dad and they can't find him, and then all of a sudden Suichi's legs start twisting up and he starts yelling, like, Hey, you know, the Uzumaki's got me, you need to get out of here, you need to save yourself. And uh Kiri, uh rather than doing any of those things, uh rushes to his side and and that's that is what I count as the embrace, is the like her grabbing onto him and um so a pity hug <laughs> yeah it really is sort of the you know no atheists and foxholes kind of scenario of like okay we're gonna there's not gonna be any making out of course because look at your legs and well, i'm not down for that but uh we can you know a little hug a little pat on the back you know quick qu- two quick pats and you're done um yeah so uh he becomes all spiraled out and then comes after her, much like the uh, the creature from the toy box in the Twilight Zone movie. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm pretty sure by that moment because he basically goes total ragdoll, and he's nothing but a, a twisted rope of a person. Uh, if he had any bones left, they're no longer going to be in a solid state. Yeah, yeah, like. When you see him start to actually almost come back from the dead, uh, because at some point, like his body gets all twisted around and his neck spins and, um, doing things no human body can do on its own. And his arms are all twisty and, uh, he, he's kind of crawling, uh, like a snake on his legs, which have been twisted together. And the last time we see, uh, Kiri in the film, she is in the uh, the room with her father's kiln uh, and all of his spiral-obsessed pottery. And uh, Sh- uh, Shuichi is basically, um, you know, descending upon her. And, and then we get some shots of, like, here's the aftermath of, you know, this Uzumaki curse on this town. And then we have a repetition of the... Um, the opening lines of uh, Kiri saying, let me tell you a strange story about this town. And then that's kind of it there. There you have the story, but yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I do like the ending with that whole photographic montage. Uh, reminded me very much of Night of Living Dead, where it's just uh, still images, but they reveal them slowly. They pan back, showing you, you know, you, uh, most of the time they'll start at something small, like a character's eye or some feature. And then they'll pull back slowly, showing you, no, no, it's weird, but wait, 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 now it's weirder. Nah, now <laughs> right. it's even more messed up. And uh, it's a good way of showing the fate of not everybody in town, but the good majority of them. And just how uh, sick and twisted, ha, 
uh, things can get there. Yeah, I, I think my favorite is uh, the girl with the crazy spiral hair. Um, yeah, where it's just gone like totally, you know, Medusa on her and just it's everywhere. And Yeah, it, she's just leaning against a light pole desiccated because... The hair it, won't let her go. <laughs> right, like it's wrapped around the, the pole and is uh, climbing all the walls of the buildings nearby and stuff. It's it's really a great scene. It's a real short. And I do like that some of the... In some of those windows, there's people looking out at her like, huh, that's a thing. <laughs> right. You know, honey, did you call services about maybe getting rid of the spiral hair girl? No? Okay. And she's starting to smell. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like somebody should just go down there with a edge trimmer and take care of this. But, you know, we pay people in the government for this. They, that's what taxes are for. Uh, yeah, it's, I like that a lot. The, uh, the local police officer that was always giving Shuichi and, uh, Kiri a hard time about riding two on a bike, uh, becomes obsessed with the, uh, spiral in the barrel of a gun and ends up shooting himself, uh, which of course creates a spiral in his head. Um, and I'm, are we missing any other big ones that, that one's pretty great. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of it. I can't think of another one off the top of my head that was uh, um, no, a real I, winner. I think those are the highlights. The creator of Uzumaki is Junji Ito. For those uninitiated, Junji Ito is also the creator of the Tomi series, which involves a mysterious girl who drives her admirers insane, and Gyo a story all about a strain of sentient bacteria called the Death Strain infecting fish and turning them all evil-like. Ito works in the realm of the manga, which is just a fancy way to say Japanese comics, at least on this side of the pond. In Japanese, the word goes back to the 18th century, where it was used to describe all sorts of sketches and cartoons and, later, comics. What we know as manga really came into existence following the U.S. occupation of Japan after World War II. While the good old USA was in Japan, our boys and girls brought with them movies and comics, which resonated with the Japanese population. The works of Walt Disney in particular seemed to strike a chord and inspired a generation of artists. Of course, that's just one view of the origins of manga, and admittedly, a Western-centric view. There are others who will contend that manga was simply a continuation of Japanese cultural aesthetics, stemming from the Meiji era when Japan was shedding its feudal past for a more modern societal and economic state. Regardless of the roots, there's no denying that what we think of as manga boomed in the post-war years. Artists like Osamu Tezuka and Michiko Hasegawa unleashed Astro Boy and Saze-san unto the world, and these properties soon gained worldwide notoriety. Hasegawa was one of the artists leading the charge for shoujo manga, which focused on more real-world events and was aimed at girls, while shonen manga was aimed at the boys. Shoujo manga, the girl one, quickly formed its own subgenres, including superheroines and love stories. One of the most popular and recognizable is Sailor Moon, which highlights some of the main characteristics of shoujo manga, like girls working together as well as themes of romance and self-realization. Shonen manga, on the other hand, was produced for men and boys alike, often featuring sci-fi tropes and robots as well as superheroes. Interestingly, single-character heroic tales like those of Spider-Man and Iron Man never really caught on in Japan, at least not in the way they did in the West. Teams were more popular. In addition to the more adolescent fare, shonen manga also included sexually explicit work, often with supernatural overtones. 
It wasn't until 2010 that the Tokyo Metropolitan Government passed a law restricting what they deemed, quote, harmful content. And all of this is big business. The manga industry in 2007 was about 27% of all the books sold in Japan. There are even manga kisa, which are establishments built for fans to kick back, drink coffee, and read their favorite manga. You can even stay the night in some of these places. The lines between shoujo and shonen manga still exist too. If you go into a manga store in Tokyo, you'll find the two types separated by the gender the book targets, as well as age categories. Not that you couldn't buy a shoujo manga if you're a guy, but organization will let you know you're in the shoujo section for sure. Here in the U.S., manga was introduced along with anime, and it's still tough to draw the line between the two in some circles. More savvy readers, and smart listeners of this show like yourselves, will understand that manga has been growing independent of anime for years now, and you can get the works of Junji Ito, like his Itu Junji no Neko, Yonen Mu, which tells the story of Ito moving into a new house with his cats right off the Amazon website along with Tomi and Uzumaki. But why stop there? One of the great joys of this show for me has been discovering comics and music and movies that I never knew existed, but have grown to love dearly. Anyway, enough cheerleading for you listeners to step out of that comfort zone and get yourself some authentic manga. Instead, how about I shill for a second? You're listening to this show courtesy of LegionPodcast.com, which includes a ton of great shows. For example, how about trying out the Hail Mean Power Hour, which I'll be a guest on in a few weeks. It's a great show with a terrific sense of humor, and it covers all those cult movies you remember fondly, even if some of them aren't so great. I'm talking about movies like Commando and The Last Starfighter and Highlander, which, now that I say the titles out loud, are all pretty rockin' movies. So get thy ears over to legionpodcasts.com or iTunes and get some Ming in your life. The Hail Ming Power Hour, you're one of the good ones, Stimpy. Now, on with Uzumaki. Now that we have traipsed through the plot... Uh, such as it is. And you don't really have to spend too much time. Like, if you really just wanted to sum this up for someone, you could say Uzumaki is about a town that gets, um, you know, not like you said, not possessed. And cursed is the best term I can think of by... Inflicted uh, with spirals. Yeah, that that insinuate themselves into people's brains and they just can't... They can't shake it and eventually they, they end up... Um, becoming one with the Uzumaki, and that usually means they die. Um, it is a very odd movie uh, in that it doesn't, it, you know, it's got the chapter structure of, say, something like an anthology, or, you know, Juwan did this as well. Um, of but, but the chapters are, especially towards the end of the movie, there are two basically big chapters that are kind of Act 1 and Act 2, and then everything else is at the end of the movie. Well, yeah, the fourth chapter is just that photographic montage at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really un, uh, uh, like it, it's kind of an unusual construction. Um, you can see where it, it is influenced by the the comic upon which it it was based, um, and the Junji Ito cameo, uh, such as it is, is actually on the wall of the police station. Um, where uh, you you see it only briefly in the beginning when the cop first comes out to yell at him about riding two on a bike, and it's a wanted poster for Junji Ito, which I thought was was pretty fun. Um, yeah, it, it, it's the movie doesn't concern itself too much with characterization. Like all the characters are pretty much utilitarian characters. Uh, it's very much a slasher in that way. You have the the mean 
girl who wants to be popular. You have the nerdy guy who wants the main girl's affection. Uh, you have the the tough jock who wants to beat up the other, you know, slow moving boy, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but you're you're right. It it does kind of have those stereotypical character uh, beats in the film. And of course, what it does with them isn't very slasher like because that's that's the part of it that gets very Lovecraftian. Of you you are you are under the influence of something that you couldn't possibly understand, and eventually it just consumes you. And one of the things I like about this movie, it, uh, again, we keep banging the Lovecraft drum, but this isn't this isn't a punishment. This isn't like they didn't bring this on themselves. It's not like there was a haunted house and they went into it. It's not like they were playing with a Ouija board and summoned up something they couldn't control. It's not like they read pages from the Necronomicon via the Evil Dead. They were just going about their lives, and they're not bad people, so this isn't even like some divine retribution. It was like, no, they're just people, and oh, by the way, this happens to them. Yeah, and there's, there's no rhyme or reason for that. It's just this has happened to them, and now they're all going to have horrible, horrible times left in their very short lives. Yeah, th- this was something we actually talked about quite a bit uh, when we were talking about Juan. Because that's the same scenario of you don't have to do anything wrong. You just have to be in, in the neighborhood. Um, and, and you know, the haunting, or, you know, the curse in this case of, of Juan uh, just kills you. You know, like you could just brush up against the afterlife and, and you're fucked. Uh, and I think there's something that appeals to me about that notion, just like you were describing, of you, you didn't do anything wrong. You don't deserve it. It's just sometimes bad things happen for no reason. Sometimes you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that's all there is. Yeah, and sometimes that bad place is just where you live. You know, it, it, you don't have to go out of your way. Like, you don't have to infringe upon nature or, or, you know, climb into the sacred tomb or anything like that. Hey, I hear there's an Indian burial ground around here. You want to go check it out? No. (laughs) Right. Like, (laughs) should we take sandwiches? No, (laughs) there's none of that. (laughs) Yeah. This is just, you were living your life and your life was perfect. And I love that. It was just, it was a normal life. You have no hint that there was anything strange or weird going on. Until this very strange and weird thing descended upon them. And then that was it. You're, you're screwed. Yeah. There's, there's a bit, uh, and you may have remember this from the manga because this happens fairly early on, but one of the, one of the issues or, uh, or books in that series, um, involved a girl that was trying to catch the eye of Shuichi and she had just come to the school and, is sort of known for, you know, kind of coming in and swooping up, uh, the men, you know, very, very alluring lady, uh, for a Japanese high school girl. And, uh, that culminates in Shuichi going like them running into her after school. And she's demanding like, you know, why don't you find me attractive? Because he's the one guy that, that kind of pushes her away. And, a spiral starts forming in, in her skull and the last, not the last, but one of the last panels in which you see her, most of her face is sort of sucking in as the spiral consumes her face. And it ends with her just folding in on herself and disappearing. Going down to drain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
it's pretty great. And it's one of those things like after having read that, when I watch the movie now, I'm like, man, there, there are so many images that are contained in the manga that I wish had made it to the film, but I understand, you know, cost. And also at a certain point, it's like, how weird do you want to get with this thing? And because at a certain level, it becomes off putting. Like this movie was made with both, uh, foreign and Japanese investment. So th- this movie was produced with a global audience in mind, not just, you know, the, the people of Japan who might have read, you know, Ito's work, uh, on Uzumaki. So at a certain level, you gotta make it at least palatable for an audience. Um, well, that is a fine line to walk, uh, when you do anything that would be classified as weird fiction, be it film or uh, stories, you have to live up to that weird part of that title. But yet, there's only so much weird people can take. And I can totally understand some people watching this movie going, I didn't like it. Why? Because it didn't make sense. And some people, they just need that. They need to have that, okay, this is why this is happening, and this is how it's going to happen. And at the end... You're going to have this, but for me, I, the weirder, the better, better. Um, I want the strangeness to spiral out of control. haha. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and again, that's why I think it's such a good idea to use the spiral here. Cause that's how it should happen. It should be going down the drain. You know, you start off on the outer edge and you're okay. But as time goes by, you get sucked further in further down, I should say, and things start speeding up. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Um, oh, you're so smart. I'm so glad you're on the show. Um, so <laughs> the, the other thing that, uh, I, I would add to that is the choice of spiral. Again, I, I couldn't find evidence of there being a, a, a very pointed cultural significance to the spiral, as being a thing that could curse you. You know, this seems like something that, if not whole cloth, certainly predominantly was just Junji Ito being a weird dude, and thank God for that. I do think the spiral, first off, of all the shapes, it's the spookiness. Spookiest. No one's going to look at a triangle or square or even a rhombus and go, ah, running into the night. I don't know. I've seen some scary rhombi in my time, sir. (laughs) But spirals are often used to denote insanity. Um, there's, I mean, the whole hypnotic wheel, you know, look into my eye, and they usually have a spiral pattern behind it. Uh, in other films, one that comes jumps directly to my mind would be Dark City. A very good movie. I think the ending is a bit much, but I love the whole movie up until the final ending. But in that movie, there's a guy who's gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and he's obsessed with spirals. So it is a common motif that is used a lot. It's just something about it. Just it. They even say in this movie, it draws your eye. And it does. If you see a spiral, you're nine times out of ten, you're going to follow it. And, you know, you can't help yourself. It's just the way it's designed, it kind of draws you in. It captivates you. Yeah. And again, I don't see that with, you know, octagons or anything else. It's just something about that spiraling pattern maybe even if they're still they always look like the kind of moving a little bit right right that there's something that does suggest movement and 
and especially like that corner of the eye vision, the peripheral uh, vision that that um, you sometimes see in this movie. Like there are little spirals that are just camera tricks, but um, you see them moving behind the characters uh, at some times, just little little vortices in the walls and in the in the road or in the clouds. And I love that. I actually, you know, it's like spot the spiral. I was thinking watching this man, you don't want to do a drinking game to spotting the spiral because you'll be dead by the time it's done. <laughs> yeah, liver failure by act two, sure. But uh, it was a lot of fun just seeing. You know, they start off really subtle and just infrequent. As the movie begins, but as it goes on, there's just more and more of them, and they become bigger and more elaborate. Yeah, they, it, it is uh, very effective. I like the idea of just uh, assigning malevolence to the this shape or pattern. Um, and and again, it's one of the reasons I like Pontypool so much. It's this idea of this seemingly innocuous thing that is actually the most terrifying thing. And, uh, and it's like, I, to this day, I don't look at spirals without thinking of this movie. Oh yeah. And, and that's, that's saying something where you, where you can basically co-opt an entire shape for your brand of horror. By God, that's a success. <laughs> and I really <laughs> like that. Um, uh, you know, I mean, in much the same way that, uh, you know, like I can't think of the word Moors without, American werewolf. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's some things that just become so ingrained with something else that they become indistinguishable between the two. Yeah. And so the, the, uh, you know, one more bit of Lovecraft here. Um, one, another thing that I really admire about, uh, the film Uzumaki is that it's constantly moving the camera, usually in a rotation to, again, suggest movement in the spiral and so forth. And, the movie keeps you mostly disoriented, especially by the end of the movie where you're just kind of grasping at these plot threads. And I don't know that all of that is intentional, but I do like the fact that the level of disorientation, uh, increases along with, you know, the rabbit activity of, of the film that it really does move in that way of, the, you know, of the spiral of starting slow, as you said, and, and, and getting, you know, quicker and quicker and weirder and weirder until you're in a place that, you know, based on the beginning of the film, you would never have suspected. Um, and also ending in the place you began to once more create this idea of, of, uh, a constant loop. And I like all of that stuff a lot. I think, I think the movie, we, you know, obviously we don't do greats or anything on this show, but I will say that I think the movie is tough from a narrative point of view for, for a lot of viewers because it is doing its own thing. It doesn't care how much you understand. It's really a, a series of vignettes with increasingly odd and disturbing imagery. It's a hard film to classify. It's not a ghost movie. It's not a serial killer slasher flick. It's not about werewolves or vampires or anything that you can just, you know, neatly pigeonhole and go, well, this is that kind of movie. Uh, there's really nothing else like it. It, it. You know, it could just be insanity, the film. Um, it's just all about, again, metaphorically spinning out of control, things getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until you're, you can't escape. Um, and I think it's brilliant for that. 
And again, I can understand some people not liking it because they can't get it or just don't like that not-so-direct narrative. But uh, I think if people give it a chance, they can find a lot of good creepiness from it. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I, I referenced it uh, earlier in the, in the show, but... Um, you know, as far as the oddball Japanese and, uh, Asian horror films go, um, like Tokyo Gore Police is, uh, you know, often referred to as splatstick. It is, it is a movie that is absurd and the plot is convoluted and the movie is more concerned with showing you, you know, buckets of blood and, and weird body horror stuff. And I, even though Uzumaki is not, a splatter movie, it does still fall into that body horror category for me. Um, well, I can see that because there's people in this film that have their bodies turn against them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's it's not quite the, you know, venereal Cronenberg stuff. It is more the, you know, your body becomes a a, a tool of this other force and whatever form it decides you should take um whether it's you know twisty bendy guy like shuichi um which i think is how he's credited uh twisty <laughs> bendy guy but uh or or you know snail people or or whatever you know or you just have to cram yourself in a washing machine it is um it is it is an influence that you can't escape and can only ultimately bend <laughs> to the will of the of the spiral um, and I think that's kind of terrifying. Like of, of all the things I, I'm scared of, probably the idea of the, the betrayal of the mind and body is, you know, especially as you get older, like that, that's just a real thing at a certain point. It's just, well, yeah, it's all other horrors. You have a chance of escaping, of beating, of, you know, saying the right words and, you know, grabbing a crucifix or just getting in your car and getting the hell out of Dodge. But when it comes to your, your body and your mind, there is no escaping that. If that begins to betray you, if that turns on you, what can you do? Not a damn thing. That's all no. you can do. Yeah. And it's, it, it's that kind of horror that truly frightens me. It's the inescapable horror. It's the, your best efforts, as strong as you think you are, as smart or quick or fast or wealthy or don't matter. None of that matters. If you're, you're, you're doomed. And I mean, a damn thing you can do about it. Yeah. And I like to believe that's the message of this show is, uh, no matter who you are, what you do, you can try to be a good person. You can try to be a bad person. It doesn't matter. Eventually death will find us all. Everybody's equal when it comes to that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, and, and there's something that seems to pervade a lot of popular Asian horror that, you know, has that same sensibility, um, which again, I admire, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of Western films feel obliged to let the audience off the hook. Um, you know, there are notable examples for sure. Uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead, which we mentioned earlier is a great example of that or the thing or what have you, but, but they're notable because of the rarity. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, there are so many, there are so many Asian horror films, even the the more mainstream ones than Uzumaki. Although Uzumaki was was produced with um, mainstream success in mind, it never quite achieved it 
uh, the way that, you know, something like uh, Juan or, or Ringu did, even though they were all released about the same time, um, which is a shame. But, um, yeah, the, like all of those movies have a, a glumness to them, a, a sense of inescapability. Um, and honestly, you really kind of have to go out of your way to find a, a, an Asian horror film that's just got a purely happy ending. It doesn't happen that often. Um, and, and certainly uh, maybe Tokyo Gore Police, as far as, as films that we've covered, comes the closest. But even then, in that film, your heroine has a gator arm and is leading <laughs> around a gimp walking on machine guns. And I mean, I guess that's positive. Uh, <laughs> that's as, as close as you get, but it could have been worse. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, maybe phone phone is probably, uh, you know, has a very Hollywood esque ending, which, uh, isn't as surprising considering that, you know, Buena Vista has their name all over that film. So it still, you know, does the horror trick of like, well, maybe there's going to be another one. Uh, but it's mostly wrapped up, but it's still such a gloomy story too, that, uh, I would still count it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those cultural differences that is the reason I did the show in the first place. I just, I, I, you know, I, I'm more drawn to a horror film that is, is more purely horrific. And Uzumaki is one of those movies for me where it seems so unlikely to be as effective uh, a film. Like when you tell someone, Oh yeah, it's about, it's about a town of people who become obsessed with spirals to creepy results. Um, I don't know that that sells the movie real well. No. Uh, but when I tell you there are snail people in it, um, <laughs> you then know, you got a winner, right? Then, you know, eyebrows should perk. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really unusual movie, but that's what I love so much about it because there's just like watching Uzumaki. I, I, there are things I'm reminded of in horror, but it's not like I watch, uh, another movie and I'm like, yeah, that's just like Uzumaki. Like no, <laughs> that'll chestnut. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure that's a safe bet that, uh, I don't know anybody that has ever said that. <laughs> right. Like no one, no one wraps an episode of law and order. And it's like, you know, that reminded me a whole lot of Uzumaki. Damn it, more spirals again. (laughs) Right. Can we just have a found footage movie, please? Yeah, exactly. Something to break up the monotony. Um, Yeah, it's it's a special movie to me because it really is one of the, not first, but it was one of the first Asian horror films in general that I saw that I was just like, this is almost indecipherable. Uh, to to me as a, a young man seeing it, but it resonates so so well with me, you know. Like I'm on whatever frequency uh, Uzumaki is on, I'm on the same one, and I I would lo- I would love it if there were like four of these movies. If it had been wildly successful, and it's just like oh, we're gonna go to a new town and have them affected by spirals. The spiral uh, spreads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Uzumaki too is a movie that like you give me the Kickstarter. Uh, URL for it, and I'm there. Yeah, uh, as long as it's got the same people involved. Yeah, and and uh, to make it clear, the director uh, who went by Hugo Chinsky um, for purposes of the film, uh, his name is actually. Let me uh, get that for you. Um, 
Uh, Akihiro Higuchi was the director's actual name. Uh, I don't know why he went with Higuchinsky, um, <laughs> but he has uh, he has used that alias uh, a couple of times. And um, yeah, it it like the camera work and sound design is you know off putting in a really attractive way to be a bit uh, contradictory. Um, it, it, it's a movie that's constantly moving and doing something, even if it doesn't explain the what's or why's of why it's doing it. For me, for me, it was a nice change of pace when it came to uh, J horror. Uh, I saw this early in the J horror invasion when everybody was like, Oh my God, what the Japanese are doing is so amazing and so fresh and so unique. And a lot of it was. But there was also a beginning of a some repetition there in some of the films. So to see this so relatively quick for me anyways, I was like, all right, that's awesome. You know, it's not just another ghostly girl with dark hair in her face. And mind you, I like films of ghostly girls with dark hair in her face a lot. Uh, I like the original Ringu. I like the original Juwan, and you know, there's some others out there. But it was like we, there should be more to J horror than just that. And this proved that, yeah, there really can be. Yeah, absolutely. It 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 does shake things up, and and honestly, you could do a lot worse than that that trio because again, these were all released. Um, Uzumaki was a bit on the the heels of Ringu and, and Juan, um, but with an eye towards that kind of market. And I think all three of those films are really good representatives uh, of that movement in Japanese horror in you know early two thousands. Um, and you know Uzumaki is definitely the odd man out. That's the one of you know that that's the one of those things that's not like the others. No. And, and it still stands that way today. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And, uh, you know, obviously, if if we do a movie on this show, we're, we're giving a tacit recommendation already. Um, but truly, if you've never seen Uzumaki, uh, I hope that we have described it in a way that is at least intriguing. Um, and you should really seek it out. It's there just isn't anything quite like it. You know, Um X Day hair extensions comes close in terms of just weirdness, <laughs> uh, which is another movie I really like. But it doesn't have the the more supernatural flair, and it, it's not as openly comedic. I mean, this is a movie that does have a, a kind of a dark sense of humor about itself, but it really is a film that is trying to unsettle you. And I, I think it does a masterful job of it, even even if from a purely character and narrative sense, it doesn't it doesn't always satisfy. But the things that it leaves hanging there are fun to think about, and they're they're fun threads to pull at. Um, any uh, any final thoughts here? I don't I don't want to leave any uh, spiral unturned, as it were. Uh, um, it's wonderfully weird. It is uh, creepy and very atmospheric. There's parts of it that don't make a whole lot of sense, but if you can, if you're okay with that, if you can roll with that, you're going to get a ton of enjoyment from this film. If you like creepy for the sake of creepy, then that's what this movie does. Yes. Um, interesting enough, uh, I sh- this was Jamie's first time watching it. Oh, uh, what did she think? I could, I can't imagine. She loved it, and uh, she said, "Oh, it is shot right up there." 
to like the top of my list of J horror. Um, we didn't break it down any further than that and made a you know numbered list or anything, but uh, she really enjoyed it, and that made me good because you know out of all the J horror that I like, this is really high up there for me just because it is so fiercely unique. It's like no, this is the story we're gonna tell, and we don't give a damn if you get it or not. This is this is our story, and I just love that about it. All right, well done, well done, sir. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I've been uh, I've been wanting to watch this movie for a good long while. So when I heard about your show, I'm like, ooh, ooh, I know what I want to talk about. So uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Um, well, that's uh, Uzumaki. It's one of my personal favorites, and it is uh, certainly a welcome addition to our pantheon of uh, Hero Hero Go Show films. Uh, before we go, and and Brian, feel free to jump in here. We have our very first uh, listener email. Uh, so yeah. Right on. So uh, you can send those to hero hero at legionpodcasts.com uh, or hit us up on the Facebook page. And I'll give you details about that in a second. But the email goes, uh, what's the best way to get import DVDs here in these very United States? I added some of those words. Uh, it was more <laughs> succinct than that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, my experience has been uh, mostly with uh, Play Asia which is largely a resource for video games, although they do have a good selection of films. Um, but they're not comprehensive. Like, I've been trying to get my, my hands on a, uh, a an un, uh, undubbed version of Sick Nurses for some time. And uh, PlayAsia said they had it, then they didn't have it, and then they said, you know what, we're probably not going to ever have it. Um, so I don't know. It's tough. Uh, you know, eBay is not a terrible resource. I was going to say me, I'm a fan of eBay, uh, eBay and patience will get you a long way. Uh, you may not find what you're looking for right away, but just keep coming back to it. You'll be, it's the world's largest garage sale. So eventually you're going to find what you're looking for. Yeah. I, I've definitely had some luck with that. You know, there, there are some good Amazon releases like the, uh, uh, Tartan Asia extreme series, uh, got a lot of these movies over um, in in pretty good formats. You know, that not all of those are perfect releases, but they're not terrible. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. I you know, as I've gotten deeper into this, I have uh, I've found um, that there is more of a challenge than I would have expected to to get some titles that you would fully expect would be easily. Uh, but you know, it's all on a scale, man. I mean, like the things I think should be readily available are kind of obscure in terms of the rest of the world. So I was going to say, it's like everything it's based on popularity. Um, if you're looking for a copy of Ringu, you're going to find it, but you know, something, maybe even something like Uzumake, maybe that's going to take you a little bit harder just because not as many people know about it, have seen it or want to see it. So, Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're doing the Lord's work. Keep looking. Um, but yeah, it can be uh, a bit difficult. So, um, you know, best of luck. Let us know what you find. Um, and let me know where you got it. So that's, I, I feel like I'm just arranging a drug deal at this point. Like <laughs> what, what did you get? Where did you find it? What did it cost you? Um, you know, and basalts are cheap. Um, all right, uh, Brian, uh, where can people find you on the social medias? 
Oh, hell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian M. Salmons. You can find me on Facebook, also Brian M. Salmons. I'm the guy who's going to have probably all the Cthulhu things up, floating around. Uh, either Cthulhu or Slashers, my, the two loves of my life. Um, you can... You can uh, listen to me blather on about more horror stuff uh, with my show, The ABCs of Hidden Horror, or uh, Evil Episodes, where we talk about uh, horror on television, or if you're of a literary bent, uh, my lovely Jamie and I, we do a show called Dark Regions Radio, where we interview amazing authors. Jamie will do, will do a reading of one of their stories, and it's just a whole lot of fun. I did not know about that. That sounds awesome. Oh, it is. Our first episode was of Joe R. Lansdale, and it was amazing. Oh, right. Oh, shit. Okay. I love me some Lansdale. Oh, are you kidding me? Uh, and and he was a great, just a great guy to talk to for about an hour. And then Jamie did a reading of one of his lesser-known stories called The Junkyard, which was amazing. It's classic Lansdale. Then to hear Jamie read it, uh, spatial, especially the term... He shot out of there like a greased-up dildo. Just made me smile. <laughs> sure. Oh, man, that guy can turn a phrase. Yes, he can. Uh, and and uh, one other note for our listeners, if you are into zombie stories at all, he did a great story called On the Far Side of the Cadillac Desert with Dead Folk in an anthology called Book of the Dead. Might yes. have been the second one, but I think it was the first. Uh, and it's a fantastic story about zombie nuns. Um you can't go wrong with Lansdale. You ever see the movie Bubba Hotep? He wrote that. So if you liked Bubba Hotep and that's your kind of thing, give it a shot. He actually has a new – they made a TV show based off some of his characters, Happen Leonard. I want to say it's uh, – what channel is that? see. I want to say because I, I don't it, get it. That's yeah. it. Uh, just started watching it myself. We've only watched like the first episode or two, and so far it's brilliant. Uh, okay. So good. So good. Joe Lansdale, not just because his name kind of sounds like mine. Uh, <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> I, I think about it more than I should. I'm like, I'm this close to being Joe Lansdale, and yet I never will be. <laughs> uh, Very few people can. Yeah, he's he is a masterful writer. So, um, hey, on our side of the fence, though, uh, please remember to follow along on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hero Hero Go Show. Uh, and, and things get weird sometimes there with the, uh, the J-pop, uh, and at legionpodcasts.com, uh, and do us a big favor and hop over to iTunes where you can leave us a review and, uh, and that helps us reach more people just like you faithful listeners. And, uh, and the best way, honestly, to help spread the word, uh, if you're enjoying the show is simply to tell a friend or a loved one that you're listening and enjoying. And, uh, how can you not enjoy a podcast that talks about spinning eyeballs? Um, that's where else it. you going to find that people? Where else? <laughs> right. Think that once again, Brian encapsulating everything much more succinctly. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Next time we are going to be talking Ichi the killer, uh, with Andy Blockley, which you uh, may know from his frequent appearances on a podcast on under the stairs, uh, and doing the nasty and, uh, a lot of other podcasts. Uh, that should be fascinating. It's our, our second Miyuki film. So buckle in. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, until next time, here is as much stereo pony as I'm legally allowed to play you. Good night. <laughs> Bye.